Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. This week we are going to be talking about butchering your own livestock at your own place, like actually doing it yourself, getting your hands into the process and uh, you know, whether or not you can do it, how to do it, yeah. and when you should start doing it. So this is kind of more of a need to know than a like technically how to, that would right. be a different video and we may do some more of those, but this is more just to help you get started, things to think about, uh, how to transition into butchering your own meat from wherever you are in your journey, things like that that are going to really help you approach this yeah. and uh, it's it's a really important skill as a homesteading skill uh, it's something that you can apply to different phases of your homesteading journey and something that uh, in the end saves you a lot of money when uh, you're trying to buy or raise good quality meat doing the butchering yourself uh, can save you quite a bit and generally we found use more of your own meat a little yeah. harder to get some of the cuts you might be used to, but <laughs> definitely you can use more of what you've raised. Well, bought. and let's be real honest right here at this time in history with inflation being what it is, we're watching grocery prices just soar in some cases. Mm -hmm. Meat is one of those things that is just going higher and higher. You know, raising your own animals and being able to butcher them in your at, at home becomes a very good way to still get that high quality food. Um, it becomes a discussion we should all be having, I think. Well, it does. And even if you're not able to raise your own meat yet, if you've got a little bit of a property, you could potentially even buy locally raised meat and butcher it yourself in order to save some money and get that good quality meat in the freezer, buy it in bulk. When you buy a whole animal, you always get a better per pound price. And then you could process it yourself. So that's still an option for some of you to get good quality meat into your freezer or however you're preserving it, um, even if you can't raise it all yet. Yeah, that's a great thought. But before we dive in all the way to the main topic, some chit chat first. If you are not interested in the chit chat or you don't have time for it today, we understand. Go ahead and feel free to zip on forward a few minutes into the main topic. But how are you? What have you been up to? I'm good. I'm tired. I'm ready for winter. <laughs> and you know what? First day of snow today. We yeah, woke up this morning and it was snowing. snowing <laughs> and we've accumulated an inch and might be getting a few more. So that's fun. That's a change in season. But uh, we've been working to get the place winterized, 
ready for winter. We got that barn roof on, which is really nice. So our hay, our grain is protect, protected. We've got some other things under roof. Um, butchering. We've had two deer come in for the kids so far. Right. Just had one come in yesterday. So yeah, our was, daughter got her deer. Yeah, so I was helping her skin and, and the beginning process of that. So we're into butchering. And, um, of course, we processed turkeys and geese yeah. a few days ago. So those are in. We've still got pigs and sheep to do mm -hmm. this year, along with hopefully quite a bit more venison. Uh, I think we've got five hunters this year. And we've got two venison in, so a bit more there. So really just thinking a lot about meat right now. So right. this, this topic is uh, relevant, uh, at least in our household, and this time of year for a lot of people that are either hunting or, or processing animals. And um, and working on the next STS class, which I'm excited about. Ah, School yeah. of Traditional yeah. Skills. Can we tease that? that we can tease we that. Can so tease if, that. You, if you guys have been following along, you'll know that School of Traditional Skills is the other class platform that we run we launched, yeah. with some other creators, which is really exciting. So we're getting ready to release a new class. Over well, we're there. getting ready to film it. It won't be released oh, until well, January. We're doing so, both. So we're releasing it, a oh, class I'm sorry. and we're yeah, filming okay. a we're class. Talking, we're coming out from two different <laughs> angles. That's right. And um, yeah, a new class is getting ready to release on Sourdough Bread mm -hmm. by Maureen Diaz. If you're not familiar with her, God's Good Table, check her out. She's worked with Sally Fallon for a lot of years and Weston A. Price. Yeah, I've been making sourdough for uh, 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's great. But I'm also excited about the class we're about to film here in a couple weeks uh, on herbal first aid. This is with Dr. Patrick Jones. A lot of you guys remember when he came on here, he did a couple pantry chats mm -hmm. with us. He did a couple how-to videos with us. Um, homegrown herbalist, and he's going to be teaching a full class for School of Traditional on, on Skills. Herbal first aid. Really, really cool. Great thing for the homestead. We all need good first aid skills. So this is just going to have some, you know, core first aid this in it. Exciting. But from using herbal medicine and, and simple herbal medicine that you can grow yourself or easily acquire uh, for treating a lot of different things. So really excited about that. We'll be filming that in a couple of weeks. And of course, we'll keep you updated. If you're not on the STS email list, get over there. That's where you're going to really stay up to date on things. Right. Um, and if you're not a member yet, check that out because we've already got a lot of great instructors there. Yeah. And uh, just because we're filming it here in the next few weeks does not mean <laughs> that it's going to release no, in the next few weeks. Yeah. January. It, it takes a few soonest. months. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah. anyways, that's that's what I've been up to. What about you? What's going on? Right? Uh, just kind of the, the same thing of like, okay, now it's real. Winter's coming. Yeah. We're, we're here. And so... People are um, transitioning into the house more. Yeah, we've got a lot more people in-house all day. Um, which, you know, if you work at home and you homeschool and you everything home... And then the season changes this drastically. Like this has been almost an extended summer. We had such a pleasant fall mm -hmm. and it went a really long time. So everybody is still outside riding bikes, jumping on the trampoline, playing out in the yard, sleeping out at nights, right until just a, a week or two ago. Week, week, week and a half ago. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now it's like, okay, everybody is inside almost all the time, except for the little forays out into the snow, but it's cold. We have 10 degree weather on the forecast coming yep, up here. Yep. So, you know, you get a little chilly. The whole atmosphere of the house changes and it always takes me a little bit of adjustment to be like, 
you can't as easily say, "Hey, everybody, go outside." You know, <laughs> when when it go like, use that, that energy on the on the trampoline <laughs> or something. Absolutely. Now it's like, okay, I I have to come up with creative ways to keep them engaged and responsive. One of those ways is we seriously put a lot of energy diving into school. Mm-hmm. And we try to, you know, obviously we start school a little bit late because we live on the agricultural calendar a lot more than most people do, uh, definitely a lot more than the average school system calendar is. And so we take this time to make up a little bit of that difference and to really focus, get ahead, get extra done. Um, But it is a shift for everybody from this kind of work and projects all day and free playtime outside to all of a sudden inside and focused on something like books. Um, So anyways, that always takes a little bit of navigation from mom to keep maybe my own attitude in the right place, but also the rest of the house's attitude, just, you know, cheerful and relaxed, even though We've got to switch gears. So. Yeah, that energy, the volume goes through the roof. Even it even does. for me working in the house, I'm working in the house more on the computer uh-huh. and things, and people are asking questions more, and <laughs> the volume's louder, and it, it, it just takes takes a little bit of adjustment to get into that it flow. Does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, but it's good. But it's good. Love so, winter yeah. time. Yeah, we're doing that, and then you know, I'm afraid I've made a big mistake here this year. No. Right. This this one's stressing me out a little bit, actually, and that is that I I love my flowers and I love my bulbs, and this spring when I was watching all my bulbs bloom and thinking about where else I want all the bulbs in the yard, mm-hmm. I ordered way too many bulbs. Okay, <laughs> some women have problems with clothing and shoe buying. I think she's like pretty that. cool. She's not asking <laughs> to go to Nordstrom's. She oh, just no, no, no. wants to plant to, flowers. To make sure I do not have a credit card that attaches to a bulb store. Like, <laughs> or any kind of seed store. <laughs> or seeds or plants. It's dangerous. Um, but here's the thing is that when the bulb stores see where we live, they kind of do zones by zip code. Mm-hmm. And they think we live in a much warmer zone than our little microclimate right here. And so I, I wasn't thinking that far ahead to make a little note in the ordering note that says, hey, even though you think we're in zone six, uh, we're really not. So please send this way earlier than you want to send it. So my bulbs didn't get here until... You know, they started trickling in, but they didn't all get here until just last week. And now there's snow on the ground and we have 10 degree forecast weather and the ground's about to freeze. So I have all these bulbs sitting in their boxes, nicely chilled in the garage, but they should be tucked into the ground. And I'm honestly not really sure what to do about it besides to just pray we have some nice weather coming where I can go tuck them in really fast, even if it means putting them on the surface of the ground and covering with them with compost. I think um, we can do that. I think we can uh, kind of do just a sheet sheet mulched garden here where we, like we show in the video, like we mm-hmm. did your cottage garden and we take down the grass. It's on the edge of the driveway. Right. And, um, you know, do a row, lay down some of the paper and put the bulbs right down and cover a good layer of compost. And then we may need a good layer of uh, shavings, wood yeah. chips. I think the challenge there is that that's going to end up being mounded in a spot that's not really mounted, didn't match, but right. that may be what we need to do. And I, I think they'll be okay if we just give them a good... Give, give it a go like give that. Give it a go. Yeah. I don't know. If you guys have, have any great advice for me, I know some of you guys are really knowledgeable about these things. Please 
let me know. Can they sit in the garage? Can I tuck them in first thing in the spring? Haven't we done that? I feel like we had some once that had the winter through. We got them late. Like, there's always a challenge here I, with the bulb companies, like you were saying. And I feel like we got some that we had that ended up having to winter through in the box. I feel it. I don't I think recall they did all right, if we do, but, but anyways, if you have great advice for me, yeah. please put it in the comments because I'd love cool. to hear it. So, All right. So to make sure we get through to everything today, it's enough about you and me. Let's move <laughs> on to one of our subscribers here. Question of the day from Mama Mode mm. on introduction to dehydrating preservation 101. I remember grandma canned and opening up some things. There was wax on top of the food. Why was that? What foods needed that? Why am I not seeing that anymore? Ah, that is an old fashioned method of food preservation, generally reserved only for high acid foods. And that would go right along with the open kettle method of canning, which is no longer recommended, which is why you're not seeing it anymore. But historically, you would take something like a high acid fruit preserve, like a jam or a jelly, you would get that boiling in your pot and then you would very quickly get it into a sterilized jar. And then in order to keep oxygen from hitting it or air from getting into it along with mold spores or yeast or things like that that can grow in that kind of acidic environment, um, you would top it with a melted paraffin wax. Wow. And that would just seal it in. So a lot of people talk about their grandmas or great grandmas doing these beautiful jams and jellies in like wine goblets instead of in jars oh, wow. because they could decorate with them, but they would just seal the top with the paraffin. It's kind of cool sounding. It really is. It, it really is a fun way. Um, but nowadays they say not to do that because they want you to process it to sit in the jar. You know, as far as open kettle method goes when it comes to high acid foods, like safely high acid foods, vinegar pickles, um, you know, jams, jellies, things like that. The reasoning behind not doing it anymore is because you get too many seal failures and then you can end up with uh, mold or yeast on the top. It's important to remember that when we're dealing with these high acid foods, bacteria cannot survive in mm. that environment. So we're not talking about botulism. That's not a concern as long as you're well away from that 4.6 on the pH. If you do not know what I'm talking about, I have a really good free canning series that teaches all of the science mm. behind it. We'll put the link below. Um, and so there's no bacteria concern there. What you do have a concern with is molds and yeast. Mm. And so you end up, you can get it to go fermenty. And, you know, if you read Anna Green Gables, there's a part where Marilla says certain preserves have to be used up because she thinks they're starting to work. That means they're starting to go fermented, which means they're going to go alcoholic because the amount of sugar. Um, so I would say that it's a relatively safe method if you're using high acid foods. It's just one that's kind of frowned on now because of the amount of failures you can get. You know, I think you're smart enough to decide whether the amount of failures is too high for your liking or not. Mm. Um, but the government says, eh, just scrap the whole thing and process it with a fresh lid yeah. instead. So You're smart enough to look after your own best interest regardless mm -hmm. of what they say. Just be smart about it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Good. Well, that was fascinating. A little bit of history. Yeah. Um, main topic. Diving right in. 
butchering animals yeah. on your homestead. Yeah. Now, this is a hard thing for some people to swallow, especially if they're raising their own animals, because they've kind of gotten to know them a little bit. Yeah. And there becomes a little bit of an emotional attachment. So I know for a lot of people, the first thing they're dealing with getting over is this, could I even do this? Could I even walk out and go shoot something and then butcher it and process it and then proceed to eat it? It's a good point. And I, you know, I immediately think of a couple things there. And two, one, if you are raising animals, that is having a proper perspective of the animals. We can enjoy our animals. We can love them, uh, treat them well, take good care of them, but still realize that they have a purpose. And if we emotionally go past that realization, that's where it gets hard for people. Right. Uh, and I think that's hard to divide that line of, you know, caring for them, enjoying having them around, watching them, petting them sometimes. And yet still realizing that, you know, this animal has a purpose. It, it is here to serve us and ultimately to feed us. It does take uh, death to continue life on in the plant world, the animal world. The human right, world. The human <laughs> spiritual world. Um, all of that. So, so we, one, have to wrestle with that and be careful how attached we get. or getting attached in the right way, I would say. Right. You know, our kids, we all get attached to our animals. We love our animals and even some of the ones that we butcher. And we're fond of them and we pet them and talk to them, some of them, the smaller ones. Um, but we still realize that, you know, they're, they're headed somewhere. And when you have that, we've watched our kids grow up with this and they handle it very, very well. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with that, that's important to, to divide that emotionally. The other thing, and we were talking about this off camera that you can do is buy an animal raised by a local farmer to start and butcher that. You won't have that emotional attachment. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's great if you just want to, you know, learn and not, you know, and not deal with having raised your animal in that wrestle, but just maybe processing something that you haven't raised. So you're not right. as attached to it. That's also a good option if you don't have the ability to raise your own animals but you would like to get good quality meat in the mm. freezer and save a little bit of money. So instead of buying from the butcher and then ha from the farmer and then having it butchered, you could buy it from the farmer and butcher it. Right. Even some farmers might help you with that on their property. I mean, you just kind of have to look around. So that would be a step towards like a more nameless like unknown animal that you maybe don't have a relationship right. with, right? Exactly. And it's a good way to find out, you know, can you, you feel like you can do this? I mean, mm -hmm. I know you can do it, but it, it, different people, you know, getting in this lifestyle, that can be a challenge. That's a good way to start because you, you haven't invested the time in the animal yet. And that's a good way to just go explore that subject and get some meat in the freezer. I know for me that um, you know, in different parts of our history, when I have dealt with this in different ways, especially I think as a mom and as a woman here, I'm, I'm spending a lot of energy, like bringing things to life and nurturing mm. things and keeping them yeah. alive. There's this little bit of like dissonance to me to then go kill something. But, um, when you step back and you look at that bigger picture and you kind of, you kind of touched on this that one, all life requires death mm -hmm. to continue. You know, whether we're talking about the sheep out in the field and it's required death of something, it's eating out it's there, eating. the mm -hmm. plants are dying, you know, you can go a long ways with this. Um, some, some death of some sort is required. But the other thing is, is this animal is going to die. Mm -hmm. it's going to die one way or another. If it was out in the wild, it would probably die a miserable death, for one. Most 
wild animals do. They either end up starving to death at the end of their life because of a health issue, or they're chased down by a prey that really couldn't care less if it's dead all the way before they start eating it, you know? Um, Whereas we know that our animals have had a great life while they've been with us. And we make sure the death is extremely humane and extremely quick. And when I look at that, maybe this is a little like dark for some people. But when I think about my own life and which of those two options would I choose if I had to die? I don't want to die a long, drawn out or scary, painful death. Like, you know, fast like that sounds kind of good to me. That would be an option I think we would all choose if we were faced with that decision. And so when I put it in those terms, I think great life, quick, easy death, like, and then nourishing the next thing, which would be our nourishing life and more life to me, it all kind of falls into place and becomes, you know, in context, a a much easier thing to handle. Well, and I think it's a connection that people need to make because I see a disconnect and I, I see people that will talk to about our life or they'll hear, Oh, you're butchering animals. Oh, I can never do that but they have no problem going to the grocery store and buying a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the disconnect. Most of that meat from the grocery store was raised in horrible conditions. Right. It did not have a good life. It's generally in confinement type situations, living in unhealthy environments, the chicken, the pigs, the beef feed lots. Um, you know, and so when you look at, you take mm-hmm. what you're saying and if you connect that and follow through, you realize that actually what you're providing here, we're providing a better uh, experience for the animal. We're providing a better ecological situation and we're providing better food for ourselves or those that we're interacting with. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just that shift that people have to get a hold of. And I try to talk to people about that, that, you know, they go, Oh, you're a butcher. I can never butcher my own food, but well, wait a minute. You know, you, you could actually, if you just saw the value in it and realize that actually you're providing a much more valuable process for the life that, that is ultimately dying anyways to feed us. So that, that, I think that mentality can help to just understand that. And I I want to touch on something that's probably controversial. We'll get, we'll get letters about this. (laughs) Okay. And, and that is, can I call it the Disney syndrome? This like human storyline plots being placed into an animal world um, in movies. And we're, we grow up with this, right? Mm-hmm. We have our children watch this and it's kind of this Bambi, um, mm-hmm. mentality, Bambi syndrome. the Van- Bambi syndrome of where we really equate human, you know, characteristics to these animals. And yes, we all have our, our dogs, like, and our dogs are, our, you know, pretty much personalities in our family. We have, Um, these animals that really stand out to us. But even with that, even with all their quirks and their personality traits, they're not really living human lives with the plot line that (laughs) that they show. And so we we attribute all of this depth of emotion and of concern and worry and fear and things like that onto these animals that they really just don't experience. Well, and I think that's where balance is so important because there, there, there are these pendulums where, okay, we we see humanity mistreating animals. Mm-hmm. We have these, you know, ways of raising animals that are very unhealthy, very yeah. bad for them. It's not humane. And, and so then we tend to swing all the way over and get this kind of over glorified perspective uh, about, about these animals and this Bambi syndrome to just keep that wrapped up short. Mm-hmm. And there is actually a place in the middle. And I, I think it's very biblical. God tells us to care about our animals, but obviously we're still, they have, they're working for us, they're feeding us. And so there's a balance in there 
where we don't have to be mistreating them, but we don't have to be getting way over here a little woo-woo, um, you know, about it. <laughs> and there's good balance. So anyways, I think we do need to move on a little bit from the yeah. emotional aspect of this to the kind of how do you get started? Because I think there are a few key things good. besides the technicals. And again, we're not really, this isn't really a how to butcher. Right. It's kind of how to get started. So um, either you're going to buy an animal and you're going to bring it home and you're going to butcher it, or you're going to buy an animal and get some help from somebody if you've never done it before. A lot of farmers will help. If you have the opportunity to offer up your help for free to somebody else to who is butchering, you know, put that out there and say, hey, I'm happy to come work for a full day just for the experience of learning. Um, that is a great way to get started. Well, that's a great way to figure out, do you really want to raise animals and process them mm -hmm. yourself? So that's a great journey to go on. You can also get that experience through hunting. If you know anybody that's hunted, you can go out and hunt an animal, shoot it, mm -hmm. bring it home and process it that way. Um, or you raise your own. Right. And, and I think one of the key things to understand about butchering at home is that it is not going to come out like butcher shop <laughs> and that is okay so here's it's another kind of emotional shift but it's very very practical so however you're coming to this from if you're thinking about butchering you just need to know off the bat that it's some work mm -hmm. and that the home shop what you the tools you're going to have at home unless you're going to set up a butcher shop are different and so you're going to get uh, different cuts and you're going to go about it a little bit differently. And I think you need to be okay with that, knowing that it's going to work differently and you're going to have a little bit of a different outcome. This was a little almost paralyzing for me at the beginning because, you know, you get used to going to the grocery store and you, you're going to go get a little like flank steak and a little of this and, a, you know, a pork cutlet, like whatever it is you're going to get. But they all have these kind of nice names and you know exactly what they're going to look like and they're always going to look the same every time you go to the grocery store. When you're faced with an entire animal, you know, your ability to replicate that becomes, um, well, it's a challenging thing for one, but it's also maybe not necessary and it creates a lot of extra stress. So one of the best things that I know I've learned in the butchering process is to let go of all of that and say, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what it's called. If it's a usable piece of meat that I can use in the yep. kitchen, it's edible and it's great. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Now, as you get more refined, you'll start learning, oh, we like this cut and we want to do this this way. And if I slice this up this way, it's going to work better. But you don't need to worry about starting there. You just need to get meat wrapped in your freezer. So you got to, <coughs> excuse me, you've got to be easy on yourself in mm -hmm. light of that. And I was just having this conversation with Rachel, with our daughter this morning, because I helped her skin and got it and get it ready. And it's hung overnight outside in the, in the barn and it's cold and good in there. And, but everybody's busy this morning and her brothers were busy. And so she didn't, while she's been around it a lot, she's, this is her first year. Right. She's not actually sat out there and been through the whole process. Or directed or, it. Or directed <laughs> it. And she's like, well, what do I do? The guys are busy and you're working. And so I just had to take her through it. And what really helped her was when I told her, you know, I gave her some pieces. Here's how, you know, you take the shoulder off the neck and do a few of these things. I said, but don't worry about it coming out perfectly. Don't stress out that you're going to mess something up. Right. You just, you got to just do it and learn a little bit. And so I think it's so important for you guys when you approach this to, you know, you're going to do your research, you're going to watch some videos. We don't have a lot of those. Maybe we'll do some in the future, but mm -hmm. Brandon Sheard's a great guy to go check out. And there's some other good YouTube channels on there. You learn a little bit and you go do it and, and don't be too stressed on the butchering part. You want to learn the kill part. If you're going to kill yourself, that is very, very important, uh, both for, you know, 
treating the animal well, that it's quick and it's fast. And so you do want to learn to do that properly and uh, bleed the animal out. So I'm kind of going backwards here a little bit because I'm thinking of these things. But okay. those are a couple of things to think about. But when you get to cutting the animal up um, into how it's going to come into the kitchen, of course, you want all the things you want but you're learning. Don't stress about it. You mm -hmm. just do the best you can and you'll learn as you go how to do that. And everything can boil down to ground meat. I can. Ground burger, ground <laughs> lamb is great. Uh, ground pork is great. And so, you know, you're not going to waste anything. If anything, even doing it yourself at home, if you're, if you cut all the meat off the bones and take a little bit of time to be meticulous, you're going to get more out of that animal than you will from the butcher shop. Absolutely. So I Less think, waste. yeah, I think that's, that's like the biggest thing to trip over and mm -hmm. is like, you know, like I want my steaks and I love my steaks and <laughs> we still send the beef a lot yeah. because I can't cut up a beef the way I would like it. I don't mind it with a lamb with some of the other animals, but I still want those beef steaks. So we'll send that out just because I, I don't have a cooler to chill it and the tools to make good steaks. So, and that brings me to one topic that I really wanted to cover today. Let's say somebody says, all right, I'm ready. I want to raise and butcher my own meat, but where do I start? Yeah. What type of animal would you recommend starting with if you want to do the whole process? You don't want to go buy the animal from somebody else. You want to go ahead and raise it and get to it. Or maybe okay. you already have animals and you've been raising them, but you've been sending them out to the okay. butcher. What would you start with? So I'm going to go very basic. You're a total newbie and just starting chickens are the best place to start. Okay. Because meat chickens, it's only an eight week, eight to 12 week commitment. And they're small, they're easy to handle, you're not going to be fear factor, they're easy to kill cleanly, quickly, and they're a little bit different processing process, but they're easy. So that's like the very beginning starting point. If we're talking like a larger animal, you mm -hmm. know, a ruminant or something like that, um, it's going to be a pig or a sheep, and that really depends on the land you have. If you have a smaller space, you know, pigs work pretty good. You just, any animals, you need to have a couple of them. So you should have at least two if mm -hmm. you're raising them. Uh, but pigs are great. They don't take a lot of space. Um, and you certainly want good, clean conditions and everything. Um, but they're pretty easy to work with. Um, the challenge with pigs, depending on how you're going to go about it, is dealing with the skin. Pigs don't skin the same as something like a sheep or a goat or a cow. Um, and so then you have to make that decision of whether to do the scalding method, which is what we prefer, or to just still skin them out, even though it's a little bit of a different process. But it is a good start. If you've got a little more space and a little bit of pasture, at least a, you know, a, a larger area and you can have a couple of sheep, sheep are a great place to start for raising. They're easy to raise. They're generally fairly easy to contain mm -hmm. and they're easy to handle as far as in the size of them. You know, you don't have to go get the larger breeds even. You can do a little bit smaller breed and, um, and you can buy feeders. We started out in the early years, um, we raised beef because we had a large lease. But we did feeders for sheep and pigs for many, many, many Meaning years. Meaning we brought in young yeah. animals, yep. fed them Just for the weaned. season, yep. and then butchered and, them. And, the and again, that's a short-term commitment because you can bring them in in the spring, late winter, spring, and feed them through to the fall and then process them. So the sheep are a great one because that carries through to a lot of the farm animals mm -hmm. uh, besides a pig. And they're manageable. They're manageable in size. You know, they're, they're, they're great to learn on. So that's, that's where I would start. Okay, great. Good, good. Rabbits might be right in there somewhere too. If you need something smaller yep. but easy to process, rabbits are another one. The processing on those is actually pretty simple and straightforward. 
Because they're easy to skin. They're easy to skin, and they the body, you know, shape and the the process is actually very similar to something larger, more similar than say a chicken or a turkey or something, in that you're going to take a lot of the same motions and the same steps,、mm-hmm. um, just because of the cavity and the way you're dealing with everything. Even though you're not going to cut them up quite the same, but good place to get familiar with it. And another concern that a lot of people have, I know, is the equipment required. Yeah. And this is something that's really worth talking about because it's like so many other things on the homestead. You can butcher something with like a pot of boiling water and a good knife, like in some in freezer. Yeah, yes, a, a good、yep. surface to work on and some freezer paper, and you can get meat into your freezer with、yep. that. As you get more advanced, adding tools is going to make things more efficient,、uh, prettier at the end,、yeah. nicer, you know, more comfortable to get through an entire butchering day all at once because it's going to make it go faster. But I know plenty of people who do pretty much all their butchering with, you know, a knife, a good knife, what they have in their kitchen, and maybe a meat grinder that attaches to their kitchen aid. And they make that. If you're、work. doing a low amount, yeah. yeah. If you're doing much, you'll burn that out. But,、um, well, that's just it. So you need a good surface, a table, and and you can even skin and eviscerate to to gut the animal on a table sideways. You see a lot of us hanging it,、mm-hmm. but if you know you can start just on the table with obviously a smaller animal like a sheep or something like that, and a good knife and a couple bins, a couple clean like we use bus bins, you know, food grade bus bins. So Now, by a bus bin, we're talking about you know those things that they use in restaurants with. The bussers. Yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just to yep. clarify yep. what a bus bin is, because that's all food grade and it's really easy to clean all the way.、Yep. And I think I think the key thing is is the right knife to start with. If you're only going to start、mm-hmm. with one knife,、um, you need a knife that has got a rounded, a little more of a rounded blade and still has a point. And if you look at some of the hunting knives out there, most of them are going to be that way. There are sharp, smaller, pointy knives, but those are for spe- specific tools. So if you need、okay. one. I would look at a hunting type knife or an old butcher shop type knife, not your average kitchen knife that usually comes down to a point. It doesn't have much curve in the blade,、mm-hmm. and you need that curve when it comes to skinning a lot of things. And so that's a good all go around. Just one or two of those is great. Preferably a, a, a high, not a stainless steel, but a kind of an older, more the carbon steel, high carbon that rusts a little bit easier. Those knives. Um, that rusts a little easier. That well, sounds like a negative. But. Well, it does, but those and you'll see those, and they'll look junky. But they're actually easier to work with than stainless steel. Stainless steel is very, very hard. Some of the the modern alloys they're finding a good mix between stainless and the old carbon, high carbon knives is how I know to refer to them.、Um, but those older knives sharpen much easier.、Mm. They dull a little easier, but they're much easier to keep sharp.、Great. So with that, you need a sharpening system as well,、uh, a stone or a steel at a bare minimum. But there's lots of Good inexpensive sharpening things. So, really, with that, and you do need a saw if you're going to do something like a sheep. Generally, I mean, you don't have to. I take that back. You don't have to do that. You can cut everything off, cut all the meat off the bones, and not even have it.、I've、done that with venison lots and lots of times. But you're going to want a meat saw, and those don't、yep. have to be expensive, and they don't have to be powered. They、yep. can be, you know. Fairly inexpensive addition to yeah, just to a meat、kid. saw, and and I think one of the kids was using the sawzall with a fine blade the other day. <laughs> his deer that works fine too. There you go.、Um, I think one other one because I know we're running out of time on kind of just this quick purview, but that is wrapping and and learning to wrap. And you know, a lot of people want to use vacuum sealers. We've had nothing but trouble with vacuum sealers、mm-hmm. for most cuts of meat. 
uh, maybe ground where you can get it all shaped just right. But really good old either double paper, butcher paper, or uh, cellophane plastic, which is probably a great way to start because you can remove all the air and wrap it real tight with cellophane. Yeah. And then some butcher paper on the outer. But you want those two layers. That's really really important. Yeah, and get yeah. it as, as air-free as possible. Try to stay away from going to like Ziploc bags. That's the tendency when you're new because it's like, I'll yeah, just stuff it in no, a bag. doesn't keep. You get way too much airflow around that. Yeah, and then you get freezer burnt. You don't want to waste your meat. The other side is, just to kind of start to wrap this up, is you need a good freezer. And either an upright <laughs> or a chest freezer, but it needs to be a sub-zero freezer so that it will last six months to a year. It's your, your, when you're doing that level of meat, you need it to last for a while. And your regular freezer is not made to keep meat that long at those temperatures. So whether we're talking about inflation and economics, or we're talking about self-sufficiency, or just learning old-fashioned skills, um, or even just eating really, really high-quality food without you know breaking the bank to do it, Butchering your own can be a really important step in achieving all of those things, making yeah. all of that work on the homestead. So we really encourage you guys to get out there. I know it's challenging, but it's a skill we should all be reviving yep. and having again on the homestead. So get over it. <laughs> Talk yourself through it. Go help a friend and um, jump right in and get to at least knowing the skill of how to butcher your own animals on the homestead. Yep. That's good. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, great hanging with you. We will see you next time. Sounds good. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.